1: The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic. My name is Mark, and I'm the publisher of the Climactic Collective, the podcast network for Australia's climate community. Climactic is just one of the shows we produce, and we're now up to 10 shows on the network. To find all of these shows, ranging from documentaries about the intersection of the arts and the climate crisis first-hand stories from the bushfire summer, or stories of recovery and coming to terms with the new normal, or even live-recorded comedy science debates, you can get all of it at www.climactic.com.au. Today's episode is an adaptation of an event from the Bayside Climate Crisis Action Group, a group for climate-engaged residents of the Bayside suburbs of Melbourne's southeast. This event was all about the power of Australia's superannuation funds for good, bad, individual action, or targets for collective activism. You'll learn about Market Forces, a phenomenal research group that engages with the financial services industry, and learn practical measures you can take to make your money a force for good. We thank BCAG for allowing us to adapt and share this event and welcome you to check out our last adaptation of another of theirs with the Australia Institute's Richie Merzian about the risk of gas expansion in the wake of COVID from just a few weeks ago. We'd love to keep adapting these and other events from groups across the climate community, but we are also putting out a call for help with adapting and producing them. So if you have audio editing skills, and a bit of time you can donate to helping great content like this be shared in an easy-to-hear way, please get in touch with us at hello at climactic.fm. If we get some interest, we'd love to launch a show dedicated just to live events, as there are plenty going on in the community, and most of them right now are being recorded because they're happening on Zoom. Thanks and enjoy this episode, and please check out the show notes for the great links from Market Forces, and other great apps and services to help you make your money a powerful tool in engaging and solving the climate crisis.
3: Before I dive in, I'd also like to acknowledge that I'm personally presenting from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and recognize that their sovereignty over this land was never ceded. Well, I've got the topic of uh, getting our money to work for a safe climate future as, I guess, the title of my presentation tonight. I'd like to give it a subtitle, which I think places the power back in the hands of everyone that's uh, tuning in tonight. So that is using your investment power to fight climate change, allowing everyone to understand and recognise the power that we have as investors, and even those people that might not think of themselves as investors, we all have money parked somewhere, and that money is doing something when it's not in our pocket. And to really influence major change, we can engage with the institutions that have custody of that money and ensure that it's being used in a way that aligns with our values. Uh, my name is Will Vanderpoel, as has already been mentioned, and I'm the asset management campaigner at Market Forces. Market Forces is an affiliate project of Friends of the Earth Australia. Uh, And we've been running now for going on seven years. In fact, I think we've just ticked over seven years. Um, But basically Market Forces started with a vision of the future where the community holds to account the institutions that have custody of our money. And we hold them to account to ensure that that money is used to protect and not damage the environment. Um, we work with the community to prevent investment in projects that harm the environment and drive global warming. And we do this by providing the information and tools that we all need to use our power as bank customers, super fund members, shareholders, etc., to, to hold the institutions to account over the environmental impacts of their lending and investment and operational decisions. Um, I'm just going to go back to my previous slide because this is an important one before I dive into the content. It is a legal disclaimer. Uh, So the content of this presentation does not constitute financial advice. Uh, It's presented in order to inform people motivated by environmental concerns to take action based on those concerns. Uh, The information doesn't account for any individual's personal objectives, financial situation or needs and so it should not be used or relied upon or treated as a substitute for specific professional advice. Individuals should obtain obtain independent professional advice before making any decision relating to their particular requirements or circumstances. Apologies for that boring disclaimer. It's just something that we need to do. When talking about issues around uh, financial institutions and products and um, company shares and things like that, we do need to be clear that we are talking about Taking action to um, better align the outcomes and, and investment decisions of institutions with our own values and not necessarily about personal investment decisions. So, Market Forces work covers a number of areas, um, perhaps the most, I guess. Uh, the, the one that we're most known for is our works on, work on banks and particularly the Big Four Australian banks, encouraging those banks to stop lending to fossil fuel projects. Uh, but our work also covers other financial institutions, um, particularly super funds, which is the campaign that I'm most closely involved with. Um, and also what I really want to focus on tonight is the intersection between our super funds campaigning and our shareholder activism work and how that combines together to put pressure on Australian companies and increasingly we're, can, we're following the same sort of path in, in overseas locations as well uh, to ensure that investors are influenced by community voices in a way that ensures that the companies they own step up and, and live up to community expectations. Um, so as I mentioned, banks, super funds, uh, insurers, um, shareholder action and increasingly uh, research into the finances of particularly coal-fired power stations overseas uh, are the areas that we focus on at Arc Forces. Does it work? Uh, I can safely say that we are slowly gathering progress. Um, we're particularly seeing in the last few years commitments. For major financial institutions to phase out their lending or investment exposure to coal in particular. We have a long way to go on oil and gas uh, and and other so metallurgical coal that's not used for power generation but but for making steel. Um, We have seen significant shifts, and and some of the most important wins that I can talk about in recent years have been uh, getting a commitment from the Commonwealth Bank to no longer lend to thermal coal, uh, and that has been now more recently followed up with a similar commitment by Westpac and both of those banks, along with the major, Australia's major insurer, uh, QBE, have all committed to have no exposure to the thermal coal sector, that is coal for power generation, by 2030. And it, these sort of policies can seem a little bit lame and and slow moving and and things like that when um, you just read them on a piece of paper but when you think about what that means so we've got a number of coal-fired power stations in Australia that are the biggest contributors to um, the energy sector's emissions here in Australia and some of them are planned to be continuing to operate well into the 2030s with uh, Loy Yang here in Victoria even planned to go until 2048 now, those plans are going to be really difficult to fulfil when none of these major Australian banks or insurers are going to be offering financial support to the companies that are trying to run those coal-fired power stations. And the same can be said of, of policy decisions that are made at company levels or financial institution levels that influence any sort of project that's trying to get off the ground that poses a threat to the environment and a safe climate future. So we are seeing progress. It does work. Uh, Of course, we would love to see progress at a much faster rate, and that comes from building power, and that comes from uh, building an understanding amongst the community of how we can influence these major uh, financial institutions. So as I mentioned, our most, I guess, uh, recognisable campaign has been our work on the banks and identifying the lenders to fossil fuel projects here in Australia. Um, So we keep a a table on our website at marketforces.org.au slash banks, uh, which tracks the lending activity of banks operating in Australia and identifies the ones which are lending to fossil fuels and those which aren't. gives people the opportunity to contact their bank, ask them to do better, uh, or if they've decided that uh, they've worked with their bank long enough and the bank isn't shifting in the direction they want them to or as fast as they would like to see, then uh, gives people the opportunity to do their own research and find a new bank. And that's the sort of model that we like to, I guess, apply across the board in terms of market forces campaigning. So we start with the research, we share the information and we facilitate community action um, to hold those institutions to account and to shift money away from them if they won't shift their money away from the environmentally damaging projects that they're invested in. I want to focus a lot on superannuation, not just because it's my campaign, but also because it is a really, really influential sector. And I think the power of investment in Australia is easy to overlook, but I know Sean will will delve into this uh, topic as well. But it's really important to understand that the Australian superannuation industry controls $3 trillion worth of money. I mean, that is a staggering amount of capital to be sitting on, and that gives... These institutions huge power to drive change by either shifting investments to companies that will be part of the climate solution, or influencing companies that currently are doing the wrong thing but have an opportunity to shift to a, a low carbon transition business model. Those funds are duty bound to act in their members' best interests. Now, there's a lot of conjecture about whether those best interests are the immediate Best financial interests or the long term livelihood, and, and for the sake of a livable planet, what is the best interest of members? Now, fortunately, there is a convergence between those two things happening at the moment where fossil fuel companies in general have been underperforming uh, the market for. We did some research recently which showed that that sort of divergence was happening in Australia over about the last 10 years. Now, It's really incumbent on big investors, including our super funds, to ensure that their investments are providing the best retirement outcomes for their members. And if that includes divesting from fossil fuels for purely moral or ethical reasons, or if they're able to realise that there is a risk of investing in companies that cannot continue with business models that are inconsistent with the goals of the Paris Agreement if we are to transition to a a safe climate transition pathway, that's the way to go. So MarketForces does some work to try and clear up the lack of transparency in the superannuation sector. So we keep a table similar to our banks table, but at marketforces.org.au slash superfunds, which shows the different super funds approaches to climate issues. So most importantly, I guess, on that table is the first uh, column, which shows does this fund exclude investments in fossil fuels? And there's varying levels of exclusions that are applied at different funds. But uh, as you'll see, many, the vast majority, have no fossil fuel exclusions. So plenty of work for us to do to hold those uh, super funds to account to ensure they invest in line with the majority of members' concerns. But I want to focus really on the intersection of the superannuation work and shareholder activism that has really made shareholder action a, a powerful tool that we've been able to work with community members to, to develop. There are companies that, fossil fuel companies, that we would just expect super funds to divest from straight away. But when we take that proposition to funds, a lot of the time their response is well, we prefer to engage with the companies that we invest in and try to improve them over time on environmental and social issues rather than just cut our ties and divest completely. Now, when we're talking about a company whose only business comes from mining thermal coal, I think we'd all understand that perhaps engagement is not going to get you very far with that company. But there are a bunch of other companies that are perhaps, you know, high energy users but can transition to renewable energy sources and therefore... While they're currently not the most sustainable business model that they could be, there is an opportunity for them to help drive the transition. So that's where our shareholder act- activism campaigning comes in. Harness that investment power that is existent in large investors like our super funds. We can use individual shareholders to raise those issues with the funds. So, you know, where a company doesn't have an emissions reduction goal and hasn't set its targets to, reduce exposure to the fossil fuel sectors, for example, people can turn up, individual shareholders can turn up at that company's AGM, question the board and really put them on notice over what they're doing. And big investors then see that. that They'll be either tuning into the AGM online or some will be attending or certainly they'll all be reading the papers the next day if uh, enough of an issue is brought up at an AGM. So Mark Forces works with individual shareholders to either attend those AGMs themselves or if they're in another part of the country or for whatever reason a shareholder can't attend, they can um, appoint a proxy to attend on their behalf. And so we help facilitate that process and and help people craft questions and interactions with the companies. Obviously, shareholders can write into their companies through their investor relations teams and things like that to raise these issues. And also engage with regulators, particularly ASIC and the Australian Securities Exchange Corporate Governance Council uh, and APRA for the the financial institutions. So all these regulators have a say in how these companies are approaching climate risk and and what they're doing to manage that risk. And so through individual shareholders, we can work to to raise those issues through the companies and the regulators that oversee them. We've probably got two different approaches, I guess, to, to how... We can escalate these issues through company uh, to bring them up with companies. So, the first is by getting many shareholders and proxies to attend an AGM and have some sort of physical demonstration of the demand or, or a request to the company. So, on an image there, I've got an ANZ AGM from, I think this was at the end of 2017, where I th- think there were about 30 people inside the AGM who stood up uh, in front of the board and held up a, an ANZ. Warming Your World Our Way banner, which was a play on their uh, their branding at the time, and ANZ being the biggest lender to fossil fuels at the time, and I think again may have just taken over that top spot or bottom spot, depending on which way you want to look at it. So there's that that opportunity to to have that really visual impact on the companies at their AGMs or other big events that they're hosting. And then there's another way, which is filing shareholder resolutions. So this is a really intricate process, but one that we've been able to navigate over the last few years to ensure that climate risk and its management has been front and centre for a number of companies. Um, It is really involved process. It takes a lot of work and a lot of working with shareholders. You need 100 individual shareholders in any company to be able to file a shareholder resolution and all those shareholders need to basically sign up to say that they support this resolution and, and use their shareholdings to put it on the notice, that put it on uh, the agenda for that company's ATM. And so there's another photo on the slide, which is myself and my colleague Rachel going into ANZ's head office here in Melbourne with a stack of paperwork, which is basically the proposal that ANZ must set targets to reduce its exposure or exit its lending to hold oil and gas over a set time frame that is consistent with the Paris climate goals. So we took that in and had it up at the company's AGM last year. We received about 15% of the shareholder vote, which may seem small, but it's actually really, really powerful. And I guess this probably takes me to my next slide, which is how this shareholder process can ensure that the conversation is escalated to the big investor level so when we get a a formal agenda item put on an annual general meeting for a company by a shareholder resolution that means that every investor in that company has the opportunity to vote on whether they support the resolution or not so the a and z example i used before we had conversations with the biggest super funds in australia and the biggest investors from overseas you know BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, the three biggest asset managers in the world who control trillions of dollars, all had the opportunity and I guess the responsibility to vote on this proposal that a company must improve its climate impacts. So if our super funds decide to vote against a proposal for AGL to close its coal-fired power stations by 2030, which we also had up last year, we can then go back to members and say, hey, Your super fund, who's meant to be engaging with companies to improve them over time, investing in your best interests, has decided against this proposal that would ensure a company better manages its exposures to climate risk. And we can then have that conversation back with members as to what their super funds are voting for and how they're engaging with companies. I've got a recent-ish headline here to show how, I guess, much we, how far we've come along through this shareholder activism work. We had a resolution up at Rio Tinto asking the company to set emissions reduction targets both for its own operations but also the downstream emissions for the steel making industry that it sells its iron ore to. And in 2019, in May as well, the same resolution got 6% of the shareholder vote But the conversation that developed over the the next 12 months and the way that that really helped put this issue on the map, particularly the downstream emissions issue, by the time the AGM came around again this May, we were able to increase that shareholder support from 6% to 37%. So you know, it's slow going, but that sort of percentage of support for a resolution like this leaves the company in, in a position where it knows it has to act. And it knows that if it were to hold out for any longer, investors will become more and more disenchanted, I guess, with their lack of action. So I wanted to finish by encouraging anyone who is an individual shareholder or, or owns shares in their own right or through a company uh, to get involved with our shareholder action work. We obviously have a really big second half of the year where most Australian companies have their annual general meetings. So if you're able to, to join up and and use your shares to help us achieve some of these outcomes, I'd encourage you to head to marketforces.org.au slash use your shares. And you can complete a form there to let us know which shares you hold. If you're not a shareholder, you can also volunteer to attend AGMs on behalf of other shareholders when that AGM is in Melbourne, for example, and the shareholder may be in another part of the country. Of course, at the moment, if we were to have an AGM season tomorrow, I think that'll be held online like this. But nevertheless, the volunteers, are an amazing part of our organisation and and the ability for us to to turn up at an AGM and put pressure on a company and have that pressure heard by its major investors is a really big part of how we've been able to, to shift some of these financial institutions and the companies that they invest in. And there's also an email contact for my colleague Rachel who runs our shareholder activism work. Um, She's rachel at marketforces.org.au. So feel free to get in touch with Rachel or myself. I'm just will at marketforces.org.au and we'll be able to let you know how you can get involved with our shareholder action work and our super funds, banks, insurance, any other number of the campaigns that we're running.
2: Well thanks thanks very much for a very informative presentation. I was as a few others might have been gobsmacked that there's uh, 3 trillion invested uh, through super in Australia. Uh, that's amazing and it's clear that if effort is sustained and focused over time, results present themselves and I think market forces is, is to be congratulated for focused campaigns that give all of us the benefit of your efforts. So I'd like to introduce our next speaker now, if I may, and I'd like to introduce you to Sean Marsh. And um, Sean is an ethical business designer and strategist. And um, I'll introduce him by relaying a story to you about his youth. When Sean was 10, he was walking along the foreshore with his family and they came upon some wonderful eucalypt trees that they noticed that into which holes had been drilled and these these trees were lining the beachfront there they were these beautiful trees with holes drilled in them the very next week sean and family were on the front cover of their local paper and they were being heralded as having uncovered a a plot, if you will, to poison these 120-year-old eucalypts which were going to be blocking the view, the beach views, of these new apartments. I can well imagine that this would have been a defining moment, um, maybe responsible for Sean's passion today uh, in standing up for what matters. Sean's work has contributed to the divestment of many millions of dollars out of fossil fuels and back into renewables energy and ethical companies through super funds.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I was 10 when I noticed the poisoning of the trees, and I was shocked that anyone would want to do this. So yeah, it was a defining moment for me, and it's something that I think shifted my perception for looking out for the environment, and there are people out there that want to destroy it, you know, for their own personal gain. So I wanted to sort of take a different tack from Will. I want to talk about how us as sort of customers, consumers of banks and super funds can do small things uh, and make massive change and how a very little effort can be enormously impactful on climate change. It's not something that gets talked about a lot because a lot of people don't feel like they have power over their money. And it's also not talked about a lot because finance always feels like a major drag you know personal finance is just usually something that ends up on the bottom of every to-do list i know i personally put it off until the end but your money can solve climate change and so i want everyone to get super excited about it it's not a drag it's actually incredibly powerful so you might have already got a sense for this but i want to start off with a little bit of a quiz figure out which one is the largest pool of money out of the five on the top here we've got Apple's net worth, India's GDP, military budgets globally, Australia's super, and then all the billionaires in the world. Super is the second largest out of this group. 2.9 trillion is in June, but I think as of now, it's probably like three, like Will said. But then all the billionaires have got almost, you know, they've got more than double. But it's it's an incredible amount. It's it's more than India's GDP and more than Apple. And no one really seems to, feel, like, know how much is in super and it's just astounding. In mid 2018, I believe it was, the Institute of Sustainable Futures at UTS did a, a report and a study that we only need 7.7% of super to fund a 100% renewable country by 2030. It's amazing. It's a small, small chunk. So you can kind of see where I'm going with this. But before I go any further, As Will rightly started out, I I need to put a disclaimer here, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not qualified to give you financial advice. Uh, That's not what I'm here to do today. And I'm certainly not going to go into specifics about insurance, self-managed funds, the nitty gritty. And I also do not currently work in the finance industry and I'm not here to be on behalf of any company of any kind. But like everyone here, I am passionate about climate change and passionate about solving climate change. And I wanna cover a topic that doesn't get anywhere near enough coverage. And the way your money is being used by banks and super funds right now is perpetuating climate change. So what you choose to do with your cash can be one of the most powerful actions you can take on climate change. This is me doing what I do, talking to a room full of people about stuff that excites me. So in one month, The question we had was, you know, how could you move $2 million out of fossil fuels into renewable energy? The simple answer is divestment. This is what I was able to achieve in my previous role as brand manager of an ethical super fund. And to put that $2 million into perspective, that's about, I think, 400 houses with solar on their roofs, something like that. So that gives you an example of what that can achieve. So through this work, I've learnt that where we put our money really matters. And since then, it's become a massive passion of mine to advocate for divestment, having seen firsthand how quick and simple and effective it is as a tool against climate change. So that $2 million was the result of just one Facebook ad that ran for a month. And since then, tens of million dollars have been divested after, if not more. I don't have access to the figures right now, but I'm sure it's a lot more than that. And it simply happened because people like us spent two to five minutes switching their super funds or their banks. But it's not just super funds banks, there's also shares and loans that are problematic as well. So anything that your money touches, there's a chance that whoever's managing that will be doing something with it. So just before we sort of really get into it, I'd like it if everyone can keep an open mind as much as possible and leave any bias you may have at the door because we can become quite wedded to decisions we've made in the past, especially if those decisions felt arduous or complex. So it's natural that you'd want to avoid life admin if you've already done it. You're like, oh, I don't want to have to change again. I've just done it last month. But stick with me and you'll, you'll see the benefits. So i got a friend of mine, John, recently about how I can explain super. And this is his suggestion. It's the simplest way. It's essentially three parts of your super, that invests in companies that make and sell stuff, and then the profits from that go back into your super, and then the cycle repeats. Some of you might know that, some of you might not, but it's as simple as that. The one thing that you do have control over, though, with your money, is what companies are being invested in, and that's what I'm going to go on today. And this is a grandiose statement, a little bit brash, but I believe it is absolutely true. The future, the finance industry profits from our ignorance and our financial illiteracy. So, when it comes to super, nearly $10 out of every 100 that you earn is sent to a super fund, who then invested on your behalf. So, unfortunately, the super industry makes it extremely difficult to work out what companies are getting access to your hard-earned savings. So, I'm going to pose a question. If you can think about this, you don't have to write it down, especially not the first question, but how much do you have in super right now off the top of your head, and do you know where it's being invested most financial institutions and banks, they hope that you just don't know or you don't care or you're too unsure to know where to find the answer because the information just isn't easily available. And in the best-case scenario I've found, it's purposely buried in product disclosure statements that are just intimidating. There's 40 pages to get through to find that one line item that talks about your option and your band. So it doesn't really say much for the industry as a whole. If you could have an opportunity in your super or your, your bank to say, oh, I, don't, I don't want you to invest my money in BHB. I want to invest it in like the Tesla battery in South Australia. You don't get that choice. I always want, wonder and have wondered, and I know a lot of people when, they talk, when I talk to them about this stuff, that they don't understand why super funds make it so hard to uncover their investments. Now, from what I know, they know if you found out about this, you'd be mortified. Some funds say that they don't disclose because it's a IP or it's a competitive advantage, but you'll see a different story in the next few slides. This is a project called the Super Snooper, and unfortunately never got off the ground. The concept here is we designed it to help Superfund members figure out what was actually in their Superfund. So what you would do is you would jump online. You would put your details in, you choose your super fund, and then this is the information it would tell you. On the screen, you can see the words, Sean, your super fund, ACME, or whatever you want to call it, is investing members' money in direct fossil fuels, financing fossil fuels, gambling, human rights concerns, tobacco, nuclear and uranium, armaments and military weapons, animal cruelty, the list goes on. These results are fairly standard for majority of default super funds out there. So if you've ever joined a new workplace and they've said, I'm oh, going to choose your fund for you and you say, yeah, sure. This is probably what you're going to get. And it's shocking. I'd like to know if anyone in the comments was, was expecting this at all. But when I found out, I jumped out of my current fund really quickly so moving on to how other people are tackling this. This is Mark McVeigh. Some some of you might know of him. He's been in the news a fair bit, and I think the case is still ongoing. He's suing REST Super for their, their lack of action on climate change. Now, financial companies do a huge amount of risk modelling, where they have entire teams dedicated to ensuring positive returns and, like, mapping out the future. But most of them do not take into account climate risk and the impact that has on their long-term investment. So that's what Mark is suing them for. And in a nutshell, the sole purpose of a super fund is to increase your funds for your retirement. But by investing in destructive industries like fossil fuels, what they're actually doing is they're betting against your future with your own money. It's, It's crazy. It just doesn't make any sense to me. A lack of transparency makes comparing funds really hard, and that's why people don't want to talk about it. When we make everyday product decisions, like a car, for example, you can say, yeah, cool, I I want to get the two-door, I want it to be red, I want it to be a hybrid fuel, I want it to go fast, whatever. But with super funds, we're typically just left with fees. And it's stressful. On the surface, they all look visually different. But when you really try and look to the minutiae, you just get frustrated because you're like, well, why is their fund... 80 cents and why are they 82 cents and it causes a lot of stress for people. I wanted to ask if anyone here spends more on eco-friendly products. If you had the option between one thing and another thing and it cost you potentially, you know, 15% more, would you buy it? Keep cups, organic produce, locally made furniture or clothing or walk to get your food from a local shop instead. I'm seeing a lot of yeses, yeses. Okay, cool. So the next question I'll ask you is, would you pay more for a super fund that's better for the environment and consistently outperforms traditional funds? And I've just stuck up a few um, news articles here about how when things have hit the fan, ethical funds have kind of coasted through nice and nice and even. Sure, they're taking a little bit bit of a dip because most of the market does, but... One example there is Aged Care Royal Commission when all that craziness went down. Some funds decided to pull their money out of for-profit aged care because it was just an ethical bog. You just didn't want to be a part of that. And it happened before all of the scandals came out. And so as a result, financially, their investments were safe. Now let's get into impact. Better for the environment. I'm not going to advocate for Future Server, but this is an example of the CO2, the carbon dioxide you would prevent from being burned every year just by having your super with them. And this is based on $35,000 super balance in a particular option that they have. It's three times more impactful than not driving your car for a year, recycling, going vegan, all great things, but they don't even, they pale in comparison to how, in, how massively huge this impact is. So The problem is with fees, and that's the only thing that we get to stress over, is ethical funds can't be as competitive on fees and so people, unfortunately, rule them out. And psychologically, we have been duped into worrying and fixating on these fees that we ignore long-term performance and the ethical considerations. And our fixation on fees prevents us from seeing the true value of an ethical investment. So... Now, I wanted to finish on those simple steps everyone can take. People think it's going to, I have to set aside a day or a weekend or I don't even know where to start looking for my paperwork, but you just have to set aside 30 minutes, find your tax file number, pick a couple of super funds to compare, jump on marketforces.org.au. Then once you've figured out which one you want, sign up online and it'll only take you two to five minutes, maximum 10. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's so easy. And then the super fund does the rest. They use your TFN number to correlate with other funds and pull it over and then it's all in one place. You don't have to think about it. It's done. And then you just need to send those new super fund details to your boss. It's, it's so easy. And every single person I've talked to about this, they've said, wow, that, that really did take like three minutes. Is that it? Are you sure that's it? Okay, let's say a to bad money in banks. All you have to do, set aside... 60 minutes, little long with banks because there's more going on. Get together 100 points of ID, passport, license, you know, electricity bill, whatever you might need. Pick again, pick a couple of banks to compare and market forces. do your due diligence. Figure out which ones you go, yep, yeah, cool, I resonate with this. I love what they do. They've got a branch down the road for me. Perfect. Again, sign up online, 10 to 20 minutes, maybe less. I, I recommend grabbing the notepad and writing down all your auto transfers. If you do charity, donations every month or you have subscriptions for Netflix or whatever it is, write them all down, then replicate them in your new account. And then again, sending the you bank details to your boss or whoever else has to know about them. But there's one last step that's really important. Don't forget to tell them why you're leaving. I'm reminded of, of a, a conference I went to. There was a special legal counsel on the, on the panel and her role was to report to the Superfund board about risk and uh, legal implications of certain things. And she said that they received seven letters out of thousands of super members about being displeased with their investment in, in fossil fuels and coal. And she said they consider that to be a tsunami of dissent just seven. So it made them stand up and go, well, we're going to be losing money now. We need to do something about this. So you hit them where it hurts. So if only three of you do it to a bank or a super fund, consider that half a tsunami descent. It's It's massive. So let's get into my personal faves. Again, this is not advice. This is just me putting ideas out there in a, in a pretty slide. So it sort of looks nice. You get a sense of, you know, the hot tips that I, I would go for and I have used these things in the past. So when it comes to banks, I've got a Bendigo Bank account. I've considered Bank Australia. I'm with ME Bank as well. I even considered Beyond Bank. They have very clear uh, statements on their unwillingness to fund anything that would, that would benefit coal, fossil fuels, that sort of stuff. And you can find these statements on the Market Forces website. Super funds. So we've got Verve Super, it's uh, run by females for females and it's essentially got a a financial literacy program as part of it, which is super cool because a lot of women don't end up with as much super as men. It's a massive problem and they aim to fix that problem, which is cool. You've got Future Super, they were the first fossil-free super fund. Australian Ethical, they're a household name. It's usually the first thing people think of. And Cruelty Free Super, uh, worth, a little bit of a noteworthy thing there because if you wanted to go that extra uh, level, if you're a veg or a vegan or uh, conscious of animal rights, they go the extra mile to screen out anything that uses and abuses animals for profit. So that's my, my top four there. Unfortunately, the, the top four, there's hundreds and the rest are no good. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Apps, this is really, really cool. So one small step, I believe this Is an Australian-owned business. It's free and it assesses you when you open it up, where you're at in your life, how much you travel, you know, where you eat, your electricity, that sort of stuff. And then it gives you like personal plans on how to become more sustainable and less reliant on energy. It's so good. It's so much fun to use. It also helps you set reminders. It's great. Goodmints is a is a great app, and it comes with a companion app as well that teaches you how to. Do investing, but the main Goodman's app actually lets you invest directly into sustainable, purpose-driven businesses and outcomes. And you get to choose, you get so much more with this than you would anywhere else. Lastly, carbon.so is a platform that you pay a small subscription fee to and you become carbon neutral. It gives you a number and you just pay this and it gives you peace of mind. You can even gift carbon neutrality to someone. You can, if you're an employer, you can you can give it as a perk to your employees, which is really, really cool. And I know a few businesses are doing that. Uh, let's move on. Utilities. Power Shop, everybody knows about Power Shop. And if you don't, you should. Uh, I've been with them for years. They've got a great app. It's like gamified. You kind of, you want to open it up. It's pretty pictures. You can choose where your money's going. You can see where, what you should be spending, and, and you can curb back. It's great. Amber Electric, they're a Melbourne-based company. They're pretty new and they sell uh, renewable energy at wholesale prices. So um, I think, I mean, I I don't know 100% the the ins and outs of it, but essentially um, you're getting wholesale prices all the time and it's coming from renewable energy. So it's cheap and it's good. I mean, no-brainer, really. Diamond Energy, they've been around for quite some time, not as well known, but it's a great third option. And, yeah. That's that's about it for me. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Sean. I think the first shock was the fact that Superfund, by default, most of our Super Funds are investing in a myriad of companies and sectors that, you know, it's dirty money. I'd also like to say that it was uh, quite valuable to get some uh, practical suggestions about things that. Each one of us can do. And it's encouraging to know that some of these simple actions, and you've made them seem quite simple, whether it's changing our super fund or our bank, telling them why can have very positive and powerful outcomes. So I'm very encouraged uh, by that. And on the to-do list, change banks. So I really, really appreciate that. I'm sure you've got questions. I've seen them popping up on the chat. Would it be
3: do you know, is it really actually more important to move your money to a fund that's doing good with their money or to be a part of that kind of will that, that the being an active investor hoping to shift the funds that are not necess- not hoping, but playing an active role in and a voice as a shareholder? It's a great question because that's really the. It comes up in our own personal divestment decisions and also when we're trying to influence change from a big investor as to whether they should divest or work with the company to improve them. So it works on multiple levels and it does need to be kind of an ad hoc uh, response. So I think obviously the first port of call is always to, to try and engage and see if you can be part of the drive to change the institution for the better. But that Engagement has to be, I guess, given boundaries as to how long you will give the institution or the company to change and what sort of changes you need to see in those time periods. And so by setting those boundaries, those expectations and those targets, you can push for change but have that backup of going, well, okay, this isn't happening or it's not happening at the pace uh, that it needs to happen therefore I'm going to take the ultimate stand and, and shift my money elsewhere. So I think it needs to be an, an escalation of action to that point uh, and hopefully there, there will be change from the institution along that path. But if it gets to a point where they haven't shifted, then it's certainly time for you to shift your money and let them know exactly why they've lost you. What about retaining $600 or $500 so you can still vote there? Well that's there's even I think there are some funds which you know big investment funds which will divest but then hold a small uh, advocacy holding or something like that to to continue to agitate I guess for, for change which is it can work and certainly as we've shown with digital shareholders you don't need a, a large shareholding to be able to um, have your voice heard
2: has any of the superannuation fund trustees, have any of them been sued? And yes, the answer was Mark McVie. So,
0: so it's great. It's happening. Technically, no one's been sued yet. Hopefully they will be because that would be unprecedented and might open the floodgates to all sorts of class actions that would be wonderful.
2: Well, so it, at, you're talking class actions, but what about individuals? If you've got someone who's the fund trustee, like who's the, who's the director, and they're not putting in plans for climate emergency, climate
0: catastrophe, they're actually not factoring in risk. So they're, they're
1: at fault.
3: The Mark McPhee case is between Mark and the, the trustee company, I guess, which is rest, uh, rest as a company. But if that is successful... The company can sort of chase up its own directors for their any shortcomings that they might have had, but they're not individually on the hook in this case. So yeah, it's quite boring and technical, but certainly that is having shockwaves across individual directors are feeling the heat from that case, that's for sure. I think it's not due for trial until November now. So it's been a long and arduous process, but we're all watching very closely.
1: Mm. I'm a big
2: market forces fan and I'm I'm just aware at the moment, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the media about China and, you know, I'm just sort of interested on your take on how that sort of perceived threat of, you know, competition from China impacts on individuals and companies moving away from fossil fuels. I mean, that's, a, you know, it's probably not a very focused question, but, you know, it's just that there's just been a lot of on the media
3: at the moment about it? I mean, we could talk about China and its impact on climate change and the Australian fossil fuel sector even um, until the cows come home. So I'll try and put some <laughs> boundaries around it a little bit. But I think what we're seeing from market forces where we're tracking the, the money and where the money is going Um In terms of financing fossil fuel projects, we are seeing a lot of Chinese investment in international fossil fuel projects, particularly, you know, we focus a lot in Southeast Asia and there does seem to be big Chinese banks lending to new coal-fired power stations in Southeast Asia and also having an involvement in the Australian production side of things. So obviously we have lots of coal miners here in Australia and some of those Chinese owned and definitely a lot of them almost all of them will have some level of um investment whether it's from bank lending or share ownership from china Uh, so they are a big player in our local energy and energy export industry i guess in terms of importing i think their their imports of australian coal in particular are declining and you know with With everything that's going on politically between Australia and China at the moment, I I wouldn't want to be an Australian coal miner selling my coal to China at the moment because the industry may well be shut off to them at some point. And I'm not an expert in this area, but I do think there is an understanding that there is a decreasing uh, need for Australian coal in China and that some of our big coal miners that, that have that market currently may not have that for much longer, if that makes sense.
2: So would they be trying to shift it to India? or?
3: There's uh, there's definitely hope in the Australian coal industry that, that India and other, even uh, Vietnam, they're looking to as a potential growth market, and but certainly one where we've seen planned coal-fired power stations come off the, those plans. The plans have sort of come off the boil as um, climate action has ramped up. So that's been a really interesting development.
0: I guess that's all we have time for.
2: So thanks again to our special speaker and to all of you for joining in. We look forward to seeing you, plus all your friends on Zoom on the third of July. So good night, stay safe, and keep your distance if you have to go out.
1: Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening, and from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic
2: Collective